Housinglar Daily examines the most compelling mortgage, real estate, and fintech articles reported from the Housinglar newsroom. Each afternoon, the HW Digital team provides our listeners with a deeper look into the stories that are helping move markets forward. Hosted and produced by Alcina Lloyd and Victoria Wickham. And now, here's our host. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today, you'll be listening to a Girl Funds podcast crossover episode that features an interview with the National Association of Realtors Chief Marketing and Communications Officer, Victoria Gillespie. In this episode, Gillespie shares how she helped mentor and lead her team, along with the 1.4 million realtors who the association serves during the COVID-19 pandemic. But before we listen, here's a brief word on Housing Wire's newest podcast, Right now, more than ever, the housing industry has been having honest conversations about how race impacts the home buying process. To heighten the discussion, Housing Wire is launching Honest Conversations, a new mini podcast series to examine the state of minority home ownership in America. For eight weeks starting in February, please join Housing Wire Daily each Wednesday as we aim to provide listeners with a greater perspective on how race, housing, and wealth intersect and what experts are doing to close the home ownership gap. We're honored to have this week's guest on Girl Funds. Not only is she a 2020 Housing Wire Woman of Influence, but Victoria Gillespie, who's today's guest, is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for the National Association of Realtors, which is one of, or if the largest trade association out there in lobbying arm. So we're so excited to have you. Um, In her role, she oversees marketing, content, creative, digital, and public relations strategy to drive member engagement and satisfaction and strengthen NAR's relationship relationship with consumers. Gillespie's record on success speaks for itself. Under her leadership as Chief Marketing and Communications Officer, NAR launched the That's Who We Are with the letter R, its most successful consumer advertising campaign to date with over 2.34 billion impressions and 42.4 million social media engagements, which is huge, quite the accomplishment. She has more than 25 years of experience in the real estate and financial services sector, most recently as Senior Vice President of Enterprise Marketing and Communications for Northwest Federal Credit Union. Excited to unpack a lot of that um, wealth and knowledge in our podcast today. So first off, Victoria, just want to say thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the honor of being with you all today. Looks like we're going to have a good time together. Agreed. Well, we always start off with the same question. I think I also tee this question up similar each time, but it's one of my favorite because I think everyone has their own nuggets that they've accumulated over their career and life that really just speaks to them that they hold true. And so that first question, it's a big one, take it whichever way you want, but it's like, what's the best piece of financial advice that you've ever received? You know, just to frame this up, you know, my, my, all my education was in finance, but I never wanted to be in research or crunching numbers. I wanted to free people up with what we learned about finance and like financial planning. So I'm also a, like a, I was an executive at a bank 
in banking credit union space for probably 15 to 20 years. So it's sort of interesting where my path went, but I will tell you, I mean, financial wellness is the topic I am most passionate about. And, and, and why that is, is I believe when you teach people and give them the keys and the way and the path for financial freedom, their quality of life improves in so many ways. So I, I really had a tough time thinking, what would be one, just one? Um, so what I'm going to say is uh, my mom had a sister that was very close in age. And it was one of my aunts. And she was never married, never had children. But she was really very much a role model to my entire family. I have two sisters. And she always said, as she progressed, and she worked for a telephone company, it wasn't a very, you know, high prestigious job. She was an operator, but it had great benefits and security, and she loved it. Every time she got a pay increase or a promotion, she was adamant that a significant portion got put away for the future because she believed she had already learned to live on what she was making. So she was adamant, and I, I believe that came in my mind. So in verse, versus human nature, adjusting your spending to your new salary, if you can just say, half of this I didn't have before, I'm going to pay myself first. Wow. That would probably be the most meaningful that I recall in a succinct time frame to tell you. No, that's huge. I I do think that goes against um, even to our society, right? It's like you get more, you spend more, you you have a different quality of life, you upgrade your car, you and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But I, but what a great thing to think of, even from the time you are starting your career, you know, just think about how much you could uh, financial freedom you can get in the end if you don't constantly spend everything that you get, <laughs> if you don't constantly adjust. It's very much a, a purchase by society, and there's always a new shiny object. So if you come rooted, if, if people can understand the freedom they feel, it lasts a whole lot longer than a glitzy new pair of shoes. So there's a lot of psychology behind it. So I always tried, if you could make that connection to what that freedom feels like and how empowering, you can pass up on the um, name brand handbag usually. No, I love that. That's so great. For me, it's really, it's dishes. I know that's a really weird thing, but like, I, I can promise you, I don't need any more blue dishes. I don't. And I've, and the good news is I'm like, I, if I, if I've reached my, how much I have in my house, I'm like, I can't get any more. So I'm not going to get any more. Anyway, my, my thing is not, not shoes or handbags, but dishes. <laughs> we all have one of our vices. We all have them. <laughs> You know, as someone who lives and breathes communication, as you do, right? What's one tip that you have on how to take better, how to make better conversations about money and finances with your girlfriends? Well, unfortunately or unfortunately, my girlfriends are stuck talking about it because I'm excited about it, right? So they probably migrated away from me if that's not something they want to talk about by now. But I look at it this way. Do you know how many people talk about um, health? And they're tracking their steps and they're tracking their calories and we're tracking our water, right? If you could take a fraction of that awareness that you're touching and nurturing and apply it to your finances, it's the same concept. People will often say to me, oh, you seem like that's so easy. Or, you know, I've had my ups and downs in life, right? Financial, career, nothing's perfect. 
but you nurture it just like you would anything else in your life. So a little bit of attention daily goes a long way in the plant. So I've also noticed one thing that can be fun with girlfriends. Um, there are apps that one example, perhaps, is there are apps that allow you to get rebating back. And a girlfriend of mine told me about something one time and how she basically got a pair of shoes for free. And I'm like, there's no way. So what I did was I subscribed to the app and now it's this game. So if I get a big and they, they call it, you get your big fat check back. And I love that they say that. I will take a picture. I throw, show each of my children what my big fat check and actually to get them bought in, I'll divide it between my three children and give it to them because they're still in high school and college. So now when they order online, they're like, oh, we have to use the app. So I think you can almost make it fun. Once you watch your little nest egg start to grow, it unleashes possibility of opportunities for your future. And if you can find the joy where it will lead you, it becomes something you want to talk about. So we need to be authentic. We need to, if we're struggling, we need to be real about it with our friends. Don't try to pretend you can afford a five-star hotel when you're going to be in debt, wondering how you're going to pay it next month. And your friends that care about you and are intimately close to you, they will appreciate the authentic authenticity because they too have struggled in the past. So let's just be real. We don't need to keep up with everybody else, right? And I think as you do nuggets of those kinds of things that work in your relationship, then you have a platform for like I have, you know, life altering decisions. How are we going to handle a divorce, right? How are we going to handle the purchase of a house, right? Those things come way more fluid and natural if you have a baseline that this is not a taboo topic. Make sense? I was thinking about this over the weekend because we had two friends in town and there are two couples in our life that really stand out to me or, or my husband and I's life that have always talked to us about budgeting. There are two couples that I, in my head, I, they've always talked about, oh, we have to do budget. We have to stick to the budget. That's not in our budget. And what I valued about them, it's not so much that they're always talking about budgeting, like they have it all together, but they're also sharing the times that they've struggled with their budget. They're not just talking about, we have a budget and we keep it together. But I also got from those two friendships, the times where they're like, oh, I kind of went over budget or here we kind of messed up, but it's subconsciously been ingrained in me that it's okay that we don't always follow it perfectly. And it's just the idea that they're tracking it and they know where their money is going and each dollar has an amount. And sometimes they do mess up and it's okay. Cause sometimes we only think about to your point, the people who have it all together with their money, but we also need to be there for those other moments and know that it's like, it's okay to not have it perfect all the time and need to recalculate or go back through. It's just the idea of like almost the fact that they're sharing about it and talking about it makes me feel better and be more aware of where our money is as a couple as well. So I kind of like the, the idea of, I wouldn't say pros and cons or like the negativity as much as the reality of finances and knowing where both sides of the equations kind of fall. I love that because sometimes if we are transparent about a lesson we learned in life, even if it was painful at the time, by communicating about it, there's a good chance you can save. And I try this with my children often. I don't want them to have to live through a tribulation that can be avoided, right? So lots of times by being true, we can share and help others avoiding the same impact in the future. So I do. And I think that also helps you. Your true friends, you're really 
can bring it in. It doesn't have to be like a formal agenda, but just awareness. You can have some fun with it, right? Or say, did you see that rate on that? Or I used to always like to say is if the interest rates came down because I was in banking, I wanted to know, did my friends, friends refinance? Do they know how much they could save on their payment? So usually it was, that's what I did for a living. It was what I thought I could bring to the table in value. And looking at that authenticity, I like authenticity and just really kind of being true to what you're passionate about too. One of the next sessions we have is kind of talking about the lessons and sharing those with the, our peers and the people, you know, you've talked about this kind of in the past, the importance of jotting down those lessons to remember throughout life. What are some that you think we could share with our audience to those people who are maybe just starting out their career that you think is important for them to know? I guess, um, one is and I probably learned this later in life is knowing your voice, knowing your beliefs, knowing who you are and knowing that when you find an organization that is aligned with your core value, you will feel at home. You will not feel like you have to put on armor to function in the day. And trust me, I've had careers where I felt like I had to protect all of the things I loved from where I worked because there was no alignment. Right. So Getting true with what do I need out of life, right? What is important to me? What's going to be my value compass? So as much as they're considering you for a job, you are deciding whether you're going to invest your hours, your life, your soul into carrying out their mission, right? That would be number one, so that you can feel joy in where you work. Yes, finances are important, but I don't care how much you paid if you're miserable every day, there's no price you can put on it. Um, what's another one that I thought as leadership, I've been in leadership because I even started out in banking, running branch teams of a whole branch for banking. So what I will tell you is your clients are important. Okay. Your members are important. I know that in a member association, right? I wouldn't have a job if members didn't choose to find value in my association, but I will tell you this, pick the right team. Make sure your players are in the right seats, right, on your team, and take care of your team. As a leader, my job is to be the number one advocate for my team. If I know I have the right team, right, we're all aligned. Now, I've had to go through turnover and finding the right fits in new careers, right, for a new team. But my point is, we should spotlight our teams. Leader, our key is to shine the light on others, not ourselves. I've had the accolades, right? I've had the recognition. So it is, and you find those little gems that just need to be nurtured a little bit. So I'm telling you, take care of your team. You take care of your team. Your team will deliver member value. They will deliver client value and you will hit your goals. If your team is the right team, take care of them. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. Absolutely. Actually uh, leads right into our, our next question, which is really, um, so, you know, for people who, some people in our audience would be very familiar with the National Association of Realtors. Other people have no idea how huge of an organization this is. We are talking the largest trade organization association in the country. If, you know, so, I mean, we're talking, is it 1.4 million people? One point. Four million members. Yeah. I mean, so this, just to give context there, and, and throughout the COVID pandemic, you and the marketing team at NAR have focused your efforts on sharing resources and information with all these realtors, with all these people who are in the trenches, because how do you sell a house in the middle of a, a pandemic? How do you 
uh, show open houses, how do you meet with people? Um, and, and looking at it from the agent perspective, I'm sure a lot of agents had to really rethink and restructure their financial situation, what they were doing, in the, especially if you think about April and May, it was, it was a pretty crazy time. So, you know, are there any financial lessons you think could be learned from navigating a crisis like COVID-19 that could apply to anyone not and not just the realtors? Great question, you know, because in 2021, we all live in clear reflection. We're not through this all, right? We might feel less of the uncertainty, but we're certainly not through all of the pandemic. So one thing I will tell you is we quickly thought we need to be a safe place of solutions and tools for our members. So right off the bat, somebody goes, we're brainstorming. They go, well, we need like a pandemic like report. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't have that. I'm, I'm very big. I'll tell you, I'm very big on what you brand things and what you name. And to pivot for a minute back to Brina's, when you mentioned, I never called my financial budgets a budget my whole life. There are always financial tools, financial opportunities. Like all of my brain takes words very serious. So the word budgeting seemed restricting to me, right? Find a way to name it what says possibility to you, okay? So right off the bat, we named ours our Realtor Resiliency Report. We knew we were getting through it. We needed that. So with that, we found a central place to communicate tools, um, CDC regulations, if we were able to lobby through advocacy to have them deemed essential. So one thing was just owning that we're going to be the mothership where 1,500 other associations, state and local, are going to come for information. So we realized that game one, that's our job right now. So we quickly went through our projects and deliverables and said, we're going to table a few of these. We need to help our members in a time time of uncertainty. Okay. So we really did make all tools, resources to mitigate their pains, communicate solutions and give tools to move forward, you know, discounted rates, training. If we could do something free enrollment, we did all these things. But one of the lessons I think that comes back to not just your realtor audience, all of us in our financial plans, right? Not our budgets, but our planning, all of us need an emergency nest egg. I don't care how much money you make or how little you make. We must learn to have six months of our living expenses put somewhere safely, not at market rates, right? Where they're going to fluctuate in the stock market and also where we know we can get to it when we need it. Okay. Six months. So what I, because I did a lot of financial planning and I was an investment advisor banking in my blood, you you cannot invest in the markets, in real estate and all those other things if you don't have your basic financial needs taken care of. So what you don't want to have to do is have your water heater go tomorrow and then go have to liquidate a stock at a terrible time in the market. Make sense? So reserve funds, your little six months. And some people argue that it should be a whole year. But I like to say six months that if you didn't have work, if you didn't have a transaction, I can survive. Okay, does that make sense, that reserve nest egg? And it should be readily available, not that you have to liquidate a stock to get to it because it could be a bad time in the market. So that's one. Let me think if I jotted anything else down thinking. Um, I, I'm big on reserves. I'm big on anticipating and planning. If you don't need it and that six months turns to 12 months, 
then you go ahead and systematically invest in the market or look at an investment in real estate, right? But you need your basis covered. That's your foundation of your safe financial plan. Those are great tips. Someone told me one time that I've been trying to implement in my own life. Um, and maybe I've already said it before, but they wouldn't make any new perch. Like say my husband, for example, brought, broke our fourth French press or four French presses in cause it's glass. Um, kind soul. He's always the one doing the dishes, but also we've gone through four French presses. Um, but they always said like, they try to wait a month until they buy something to replace it to see one, it inspires creativity. I still have the French press, like to go down. What else do I have in my kitchen that could maybe be used as an interim fresh press? And like, it causes you to be more creative and also figure out, do you really need it? If you wait a month before making any like small purchase, like another French press, or maybe a new jacket or a new pair of tennis shoes, something like that. Um, and it reminds me of that same type of advice, um, when it comes to like, you listed so many actionable and like tangible things, but also you touched on at the very beginning, I think the importance of your words, you said that at your answer to question number one, you mentioned, you're like, Oh, no, it's not maybe the word negative. I think I said, and you pointed out, you're like, no, let's use this one instead. And I love how you shifted the perspective there to the power of your words. So one part was like actionable, but another part was like, you have power over what you're going to speak over something. And if you call it a budget and that gives you stress, or if you call it this, and that creates a negative reaction or say pandemic, what can we do instead in order to put a better mindset around it? So you hit on it. Words have power and think of the more we articulate empowering words of freedom, wellness, gratitude, it starts to form our thought patterns, right? And we know, I mean, there's a lot to be said of if you continually only see the negative, you, you tend to attract the negative because that's what's focused. And I just believe that um, there we have a lot to be grateful for. And I don't think we have to be unrealistic, right? There are some things or a flat out problem I need to deal with, right? But I'm very careful of the words I use, especially what I write down, right? What I put near and dear to me. And I, I think there's power in that. I just know I, my nature does not like to be restricted. So for somebody to say, Victoria, I have this great budget. I immediately think constricted, don't box me in. So that that's why that stands out. I'm very sensitive to words. It's such, such great advice. I even say that like the words you say, like my husband probably gets annoyed at me because he always said like, oh, that was an idiot move or something. I'm like, don't speak that over yourself. You're not an idiot. We're going to use a different word in this instead. Um, and kind of going right along that same line of thinking, you not only mentor a team of 80 people, um, I'm sure it's growing, but there's so many more people that you're also providing communications to. As Sarah mentioned, you oversee the communications at NAR, which is a huge amount of people. We're talking millions. So, I mean, what and how has it been kind of thinking through this, mentoring people, leading people through a crisis? And maybe that's another word we could, we, we could switch out, but what has, what, how has that been? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think for starters, you need your plan well before the crisis comes, right? So the people and the organizations that are thriving have a strategic plan in place for events potential like this. We don't know the details, but, but, but I'm all about the basics the right players, the right teams that are bought in. They have a similar mission to me. What's interesting, my whole career, people either migrate to me in numbers and want to work with me, or they're like, oh, that lady, huh? Uh. Nobody's really ever lukewarm 
on me, I'll be honest. So why I say that is I'm very clear on what our mission is, what our rules will be in the sense of this is how we'll treat one another, right? Collaboration, teamwork, no undermining. So either people are on board or not on board. So when you have your right team in place, you, you kind of are game ready. It's very difficult to get game ready once you're thrown into the midst of the pandemic, okay? So you saw communication strategies, number one. Um, I, I, I also think every day that I work, our team says, our members choose to associate with us. I should be able to articulate my value stream every day with every decision I make, or why am I doing it, right? So it's very important that we take what we do and translate it in a way that is valuable to my end receivers. So one of the components of my role is what we call our consumer brand campaign. That's the, that's who we are. Well, that's become a mantra. I mean, people have championed it, but, but let me make this clear. If I would have done that campaign in a vacuum, I would have had no buying, okay? We have member association committees that guide us, that advise us, that you could think, oh, that really slows me down, right? But think about it. We're delivering, they're choosing to pay dues for value to be in their business and practices. So I, and again, I don't know if you knew, I practiced for 12 years. So I'm very sensitive. I was a realtor for 12 years when I raised my children. Every day I say, how does this translate to their business? How am I helping my member? So you can get on some great project, but if you cannot articulate the value stream to your end user, sometimes it's for naught. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that, you know, we've seen that campaign roll out and that's been really great. I mean, we're, we're big fans. That's, that's been amazing. And really just getting that buy-in on anything. I mean, on anything, if you're trying to, the value is in the way that people take it and make it their own, right? Something that's corporate, something, or, or even in a family as a mom, you know, (laughs) if you have the value and and your kids don't adopt that, like it's, it's not going to work. So buying not- word, right? You one one person can't create change. One person can inspire, but that's why buy-in, being collaborative, being open to someone on my team saying, Gillespie, you're off base. I think you missed this piece. We are not perfect. And it takes all those little pieces. And one, you know, one last tip I'll throw in there. I think in my career humans want to hire humans that reflect what they see in the mirror. It's just nature, right? It makes me comfortable. It's not different. I will tell you, if you hire for people that fill in your weaknesses and be open about it, you come out with this integrated, spectacular team. So I'm all about, seriously, diversity, Owning up, you know what? That de- detail stuff. I'm concepts. I'm strategy. You box me in on a schedule of details, and you will suffocate the life right out of me. Okay, I need people who say, Victoria, we need detail planned. So I need people who want to do that. So I just want to be honest. It's okay to not have it all. Know your weaknesses and hire those people that fill in those gaps. Does that part make sense? Oh yeah, no, I I love that, and you know uh, we talk a lot here about diversity and the value of diversity is 
is the business, there's a business case for diverse. Your, your, your team will be better. Your business will be better. Your life will be better because if it's just people who look and, and think just like you, you, you've, you've really limited yourself. And so, and, and I feel you on that. I am the concept person. I am not the project management person and people on my team know that we <laughs> we've shored that up. And meanwhile, I have people who are absolute, I feel like they're geniuses at project management. The way they can do a spreadsheet, the way they can do it all, and and you know, it's just it's it's a beauty beauty to behold. And and if I was in charge of that, it wouldn't look like that. So, I, I love that. You know, we want to switch gears a little bit to home ownership. Obviously, as uh, someone who works for the National Association of Realtors, home ownership is d- near and dear to your heart, just like it is to us. And and it's because we see the value of. Uh, of home to people and also the value that can happen for um, creating wealth and even intergenerational wealth. So we love to talk about home ownership. You have a bird's eye view of what information buyers are looking for, right? I mean, you're in touch with people who this is what they do all day long. Um, Can you touch on some of what you're seeing right now when it comes to what home shoppers need to know to buy this year in 2021? It's an interesting market for sure. And, and, you know, we have a wonderful economist and economic team, Lawrence Shun and company, and they are brilliant. They make all of us look smart because they frame it up in little chunks of information that I can articulate. But at, what our realtors are seeing is inventory is tremendously low right now. Okay. There have been pauses due to the pandemic on building. Construction costs are high. So new construction has been down very limited inventory. So the good news is my sellers, it's a seller's market, right? But you know what the opposite is, right? It's not a buyer's market right now. So here's my words of advice to a buyer. One is know what you can afford, have that work through with your lender with even more than a pre-qualification. When you work with a lender prior to being ready to make a decision, you can improve your credit score to get the opportunity optimal best interest rate in the environment. Okay. So, so you don't wait till you're ready to write an offer. It could be an 18 month journey. I have had people on credit repair journeys for three years, but you get involved, ask your realtor. They have a partner lender. They work with you build the plan to get where you want to go. When you are ready to go into the purchase decision, if you have a partner, a spouse, a sibling that you're buying with, you need to document what your objectives are. You cannot wait and think you're going to convince each other of what your must-haves are because the the inventory that is available is flying. We're getting 30 offers in 24 hours. So you better be ready, know what you want, know what your must-haves, because there's a difference between I'd like to have and I must have document them. And you if there's a second party involved in your decision, you need to be lockstep with that person, not wait till you're about to make an offer, right? Because then you know which properties are worth your time. So I'm just saying being decisive, be well qualified, be flexible, because you're not going to have the luxury to debate it and mull it over for four months, if that's the house you want. I know I'm very direct on that, but there's such low inventory right now. But those are things that you can certainly do to be ready. It's an ultra low rate environment. So what that means is we're playing like I was in banking in late 80s and 90s. Interest rates were double digit back then. That means your buying power gets you so much more. So use the information, 
get your lender, get your workup, get your FICO score the best it can be, because that means that you'll get the best, most competitive rate possible. That's what I'd focus on. And I know you list a lot of things. One comment that I latched onto, which wasn't really the heart of the point, but I latched to was when you said, if you have another buyer involved, and I would like to emphasize something we talk about here a lot is um, females who can buy a house by themselves. You can, you don't need an other to buy a home. And I just, I know that wasn't the point of that comment, but it stuck out to me. Like I always will take any opportunity to say, Hey, like you single women have continuously bought homes all the time. And this is also just a great environment that you don't need to be married in order to buy a home. And that just as much, the tip is still the same. Go talk to a lender and see what that pathway looks like for you. You know, that's a beautiful point. Two things to add for, for, for your audience is you don't need to have a second person, literally, you know, you work that out with the lender. But if you think about it, um, people think they need, you know, 20, 30% down. There are so many loan programs, okay? And I'm not a certified lender, so I'm not giving advice, right? I'm not a tax advisor. I'm not giving advice, right? My disclaimer. But but there are so many programs. People have the perception that if they don't have 20% today, don't bother. I will tell you, many times in my career, I got their mortgage payment lower than their rental payment, and they got the tax benefits of it. So don't think... And don't think you need a full 20%. There are agricultural programs in rural areas. There's FHA, VA. My point is, there's a whole litany of choices that when you work with a realtor, they're going to walk through with your lender. So it's worth checking regardless. So many people are surprised by that. If I could cut, copy, paste that and put it on a billboard, I would. I'm sure there's plenty of other people out there doing that, but I really appreciate you kind of touching on that advice. And I'm sure there's a lot of resources that you have out there too. So to wrap, we always want to ask one, is there anything else you'd like to add or resources people can kind of go see? Um, and where can people find you? One is you can go to NAR.realtor, right? Our website. And it is, we continue to make it more intuitive and user-friendly. That's part of our digital strategy team. So it's getting more interesting and creative. So I encourage them to go to NAR's website. And for me personally, if somebody wanted to reach out or, you know, because I'm very good at connecting people. I know people, and, and I never know sometimes where the connection is going to go, but I think they're like-minded. They should know each other. Um, LinkedIn's a great place to reach out to me. Just input Victoria Gillespie, National Association of Realtors. I'm happy to guide them. Because NAR is so comprehensive, I can always guide them. We have financial wellness programs. We have, for realtors, they know. I mean, we have certifications that educate them on almost anything they want to learn. We have financial wellness. So specifically my realtors, we have specific tools that are very detailed. But in general, I'm happy to help and connect them to the right people. I think that's great. And such an asset. I I love LinkedIn for that reason. And people who are connected minded people, because there are a lot of people that you don't know. And that's what's great, I think, about LinkedIn. And also outside of that, the resources on NARS website, I think I'm sure just anything that you can do just to help educate yourself, build more knowledge, of course, with talking to the to the lender and an expert local real estate agent as you kind of move forward. But want to just kind of wrap and say, Victoria, we really appreciate having you on. Um, I know, Sarah, you, I'm sure you echo that as well. Um, and just your time. Oh, I'm grateful. It's been a fun and, and important topic that you, you all are continuing 
to open up. So when you say about having the conversations, you've created a forum to have the conversations. So thanks for including me in this, ladies. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily as we wrap up this week's news coverage. As always, we like to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Have a great weekend and catch everyone back here again on Monday.